the only one that remembers the Beatles. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotting just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Devendra Hardwar. Today I'm joined by Jeff Kanata. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? It's going good, man. Uh, Dave, is, uh, Dave is on the sunny beaches of Hawaii <laughs> right now. Yeah, so uh, we're sorry Dave can't be here, but also screw that guy. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, screw you and your, uh, your luau wherever you are. I don't, I don't feel too bad for Dave right now. I hope he's relaxing and uh, that guy works way too hard. Well, judging by his his Twitter feed, he uh-huh. is definitely not relaxing because I've seen like, hey, I'll be on Periscope talking about McDonald's in in Hawaii. It's like, no, Dave, just relax, buddy. As Come we on. all know, if Dave is not broadcasting, he does not exist. So <laughs> there, <laughs> That's there right. you go. That's um, right. But yeah, today we're going to be talking about T2, train spotting, and uh, a couple things we've been watching. Uh, this will be, I think it'll be a fun chat because, uh, Jeff, I don't think you and I have had a chance to just sit and chat together either. So this will be a no, it's true. It's yeah. pretty. It's going to be fun. I think just going to get that boisterous chin out of here, and you and I can have a <laughs> have a civilized discussion. Yeah, and I, I, maybe for DLC. I think we've had a couple chats. That's but, right. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. So I wasn't here last week. Um, you guys were talking about Kong Skull Island. Uh, I really enjoyed that movie as well. I just saw that over the weekend. But I spent most of last week at South by Southwest, and. Mm. That was a blast. I, I, I've been to a lot of uh, tech shows and a lot of pop culture shows in general. And I think that's one of the more, definitely one of the most fun things I've been to. Uh, to me, it feels a lot like Comic Con, but a whole lot more rewarding, right? Because there's a lot it's of Comic Con with a lot better food, that's yeah, for sure. Better food. <laughs> um, and I think uh, it's a great crowd, too. I was there for both the tech and the film sides of it. Um, but the cool things that, you know, you still end up waiting an hour or two to see like a really cool film or something that's premiering. Uh, but the key with South by is that after you wait that time, you see the whole film, you know, you're not just (laughs) waiting for a panel to see 15 minutes of footage and then to geek out with the other geeks, which is fun, but honestly gets a little old. So I have to say I really enjoyed the experience. Uh, but yes, what, uh, let's do our first section, what you've been watching, uh, I've been watching a couple things at South by, uh, I yeah, saw you got to see like the mm-hmm. big, the, the, they're like gigantic premieres that everybody was excited about and you got into them, right? I got in, I mean, there were, there was nothing special, right? I, I had a press badge, uh, but as I've learned in many shows, uh, that doesn't really mean much. Uh, it, it meant I could get into, you know, things without paying the normal fee, but there's still a line and there's still a whole lot of line waiting, but I was glad to wait in line for things like baby driver, Edgar Wright's new movie. And, oh, uh, so yeah. jealous. the cool thing about this, and this is kind of speaking to your philosophy, Jeff, like I went into this thing, we didn't really know much about this movie. Uh, the trailer and even the poster dropped after the screening. So you guys all got a taste of that. Um, 
and I just you know kind of went in hearing the rumblings of kind of what Edgar Wright was working on. Uh, this is a film that stars. Um, is here? This film stars Ansel Elgort uh, as a guy named Baby, and he's very good at driving. And I, when I saw this, I basically tweeted, uh, "This is Edgar Wright's Fast and Furious." If you if you imagine the combination of those two things. It's very much that. It is both an action film and a car chase film with some great stunt work. The chases are all practical. There's no CG work for any of the car stuff. Uh, he was very wow. proud of that. And the the whole conceit is that this guy kind of has a hearing problem. So he's just playing music to kind of drown out the ringing in his ears. Uh, but the chase sequences all kind of have a soundtrack to them. So it's almost like a chase musical uh, but there are also a couple <laughs> shootouts and action sequences as well. And there are points where it's like that scene in Shaun of the Dead where they're, you know, fighting the zombies to that Queen song. And at one point, they're just like hitting the the bar owner, I think, to the beat. And right. imagine that for, you know, several lengthy action sequences. I think it's going to be a bit of an acquired taste. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I does was it just, feel like a music mm-hmm. video? It does feel kind of like a music video. But honestly, that speaks to Edgar Wright's style. He's always been like a very, um, kind of a very energetic filmmaker. So much of Scott Pilgrim feels like that too. He has mm-hmm. some of uh, Sam Raimi's sensibilities in terms of the way he like edits and cuts and zooms things together. Uh, so that all works really well. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, great cast all around too. Kevin Spacey is sort of, he is the guy kind of leading the whole team of people who are uh, robbing banks and other places. And there's kind of a, uh, there's also a, how do you put this? There's also like a, just like a, a cast that moves around, right? It's uh, so the whole conceit is that they're not always driving with the same crew. So you see a couple other people as part of this, uh, this robbery team. Uh, John Bernthal shows up for a bit, uh, but the big ones are John Hamm and Jamie Foxx who play, very important characters to this whole thing. And uh, just seeing them in an action movie by Edgar Wright is honestly a lot of fun. That's what this movie is, really. You know, it is fun. It's pure fun. It's cinematic adrenaline. Um, I don't know if it has much of a deeper meaning, much Mm. like Edgar Wright's other stuff. Like, I think his other films, you can find something more to dig into in Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz or The World's End, and even Scott Pilgrim, for sure. Um, this one feels a lot fluffier than some of those things, but honestly, sometimes that's all you want. You know, you want a good action movie with a good soundtrack and a cast that you really enjoy. Um, so this one's coming out in August, I believe. And yeah, looking forward to talking about this with all of you guys. Oh man, I can't wait to see it. Um, this is what he did instead of Ant-Man, right? This is, this is what he went on to do. Yeah. He's been working on this for a while, I think too. Like, uh, oh, I don't, I think definitely since 2012, probably even earlier. Like he had the script rolling around for this for a while. I don't, we still don't know why he left Ant-Man other than sort of creative differences. Uh, and I'm sad yeah. to see him leave that. But if this is what we get out of it, that's it's great. Just a wonderful sense of style. Um, everything you love about his filmmaking is in here. And it's just fun. That's really the best thing I can say about it. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. I also saw Atomic Blonde. And this is another one that we just did, had no clue that this movie was even coming, I think. I just haven't been following movie news very closely either. Uh, but this, the trailer for this dropped uh, right as South By was beginning, and people were flipping out over this, because this is uh, David Leach, uh, one of the co-directors of John Wick, uh, doing another action movie, this time starring Charlize Theron as an 80s British spy. And the sensibility is kind of weird. It's not as... Uh, 
it's not as campy as something like um, Kingsman, I'd say. It's a little mm-hmm. more, but it's also, there, it has a great sensibility. Like, it has a lot of fun to it. There's also a great soundtrack, has some wonderful style. Uh, but most importantly, the action is awesome. Um, apparently, Charlize Theron and Keanu Reeves were training at the same time while he was training for John Wick 2. Uh, they, you know, she was training for this and they would like spar every day. You can see Crazy. some of the, yeah, just insane. You can see some of the similarities in the action too. Um, definitely there's, there's a little bit of gun foo in the trailer for this. And a lot of people started criticizing it, calling it, you know, a, a female John Wick movie, but the style of the action is very different. There's one sequence that looks like it's a one take. I'm sure they like figured out how to hide some of that with special effects, but it feels like a 10 to 15 minute fight down a stairwell. That's just brutal. It's a lot more brutal than what we've seen from John Wick. Uh, in John Wick too, like he had a bulletproof suit. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, blood just didn't seem to really exist in that universe. In this movie, Charlize Theron gets bloodied and bruised, and like she and she really like holds her own too. So I love this new action-packed Charlize Theron. Uh, James McAvoy is in here as a British secret agent who's kind of a kind of a just a fuck up guy. Like he's he's not a great agent but apparently he's good at his job uh great cast too john goodman toby jones and sophia butella who i i love that we're just casting her and everything now so yeah this is awesome Um, so is is she more badass here or as furiosa (laughs) um it's tough like here she gets i think she gets even more time to shine here too and they give her some great choreography uh there's one great shot that's very much like the die hard jumping out of the building or heart boil jumping out of the building kind of uh, their own take on that and it's so awesome like the cool thing about this movie is that it kicks ass it's really stylish uh, but there's a real heart to it as well like um i do care a lot about what was happening and honestly i think the stakes in this movie are better set than john wick 2 which mm. you know you go back and listen to our review of that uh yeah that movie was a lot of fun a great follow-up but the action didn't feel as meaningful to me here um yeah charlie Theron's character uh lorraine broughton because apparently it's this is all apparently based on a comic book series um this character is just awesome i love the conceit of this character i love like just everything about her and hopefully this will become a franchise for Charlize theron very cool yeah can't wait and a bunch of other things i I saw a little bit of alien covenant footage ridley scott was there i was hounding him to review him on camera that didn't work out but the footage looks cool so I'll, i'll say that uh the prometheus footage we saw before that thing also looked cool so yeah so you know you can take it with a grain of salt right <laughs> prometheus had some great trailers yeah for sure um and ridley scott uh he seems to really be enjoying this universe uh yeah uh, there were there were a lot of cast members too from the film at south by uh katherine waterston who sort of who she is the new female protagonist um michael fassbender is back as a different android um let me see here and also uh who is it danny mcbride who yeah, is great. Odd choice, right? Odd choice. He is one of the pilots. I think he is the lead pilot in this one. Um, and he just looks like he's having fun. But seeing him on stage with uh, Ridley Scott and Catherine Waterston and Michael Fassbender, that's such a weird combination. Um, looks good <laughs> from what I've seen. I still have hope. I didn't hate Prometheus as much as other people. And I think there's a lot of good stuff in that movie. So, yeah, still interested in seeing what they're going to do with this. 
I got real burned by Prometheus. I, I was really disappointed by that movie. I think there's like one sequence in that movie when she's on the you know operating table. That's the only sequence in that movie that I even really liked at all. And um, and so I'm you know I'm definitely cautiously optimistic. Hopefully this can right the ship. Uh, but um, you know mm-hmm. I don't know. It remains to be seen. Still, it looks good. And there we saw some of the sequ- like. The the downside of seeing early footage at a thing like this is that, yeah, you're basically spoiling yourself for key situations in the movie. Um, but one of the sequences is like a, you know, traditional alien shows up and things go insane. And it looks really good. So mm. hopefully, right. uh, yeah, hopefully it'll all work out. And uh, you can check out all of my South by coverage and Gadget. Uh, I also got to sit down and talk with Frank Oz. Talk with wow. him in person. That was great. That's cool. He is the best. Uh, we put in... One of the uh, kind of a blooper, one of his outtakes as like the opening, and I got to talk with him about Yoda and stuff. He is a blast. I also sat down and talked with Ron Howard about his upcoming Albert Einstein show, which mm-hmm. is it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, National Geographic is doing some pretty good stuff these days. Yeah, it's like a legit documentary series about uh, mm-hmm. different geniuses, right? Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a biopic, so not a documentary, but it is going to be an anthology. And this whole oh. first season is going to this first one is about Einstein. Um, very different for an Einstein story because it starts with him. It starts with a bloody assassination, <laughs> and then it cuts to Einstein, older Einstein, in the middle of like having sex with one of his assistants. So it's very much like I wow. think in the Game of Thrones. Uh, rock and roll einstein yeah for sure like the sex position type model of yeah it's a very modern einstein it's a also good cast like good show too so i'm looking forward to that but you can check out that content later also i've been watching the good fight on cbs oh yeah that's like the spiritual successor to the good wife it very much is yeah i thought this was just gonna be kind of a cheap uh spinoff show um, it is a spin-off show. It is also created by Michelle and Robert King, uh, who did The Good Wife, and it stars Christine Baranski and a lot of leads from that show. But basically, it does feel like a direct continuation, except without uh, Juliana Margulies. But the show, it's so good. Like, I just miss this. Inv- I miss this type of writing. I miss the courtroom scenarios they create. Uh, the Good Wife, when it was great was one of the best shows on TV. Like, the courtroom drama stuff that they pulled off was so good and so creative. Just glad to see this whole world back uh, in existence. The only thing is that nobody can really see it. So that's a little odd. You have what to, do you mean? You have to subscribe to CBS All Access to see it. Oh, it's not an actual CBS show? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? If you create a high-quality show for a streaming service that nobody subscribes to, does it really exist? <laughs> yeah i don't know it falls in the woods and yeah. no one's around to hear it yeah i get you I, I don't know if the show exists yet um but yeah they aired the pilot on cbs and right now you have to subscribe to all access i think you can also get it on itunes as well but that's honestly not a great way to uh, promote a show you know only the diehard fans are going to do that so i have a feeling at some point um maybe this summer cbs will just like you know uh give up and air all the episodes at some point because this is great content. This is one of the best shows on TV right now. And it kind of kills me that nobody can really see it. Mm. Um, either because they don't know CBS All Access exists, uh, which is, that's a big thing because there are so many streaming networks already. And a lot of people don't have access to the apps and stuff to, uh, to actually watch it. So it's a, a, it's a place. double-edged sword, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have, you know, you... If you want people to go to your streaming service, you want to give them really awesome exclusive content there so they're incentivized to sign up. Yeah. But 
if you have this really awesome content, you want the most eyeballs to see it right. and you don't want to put it on a place that most people can't get. Yeah. So it's, it's rough. And I, um, you know, I have, uh, the direct TV now as, as my sort of main cable subscription for the moment. And because this CBS app exists, there's no CBS content in direct TV now. Yeah, so yeah. I already have kind of a chip on my shoulder about that. <laughs> um, it's kind of a bummer. But. Yeah. CBS hasn't been playing nice with anybody, right? They didn't want to work with Hulu either. Um, they're not on sling. So they, they've been right. trying to do their own thing. I don't, uh, I'll probably be writing about this more at some point. Um, I don't know if this is the best strategy. Uh, I can understand the willingness to like say, hey, we have good content. We can survive on our own. Uh, but after a certain point, you kind of have to work with everybody else. Uh, yeah. The big test for CBS All Access will be Star Trek Discovery. Uh, whenever that new show appears, I think it was delayed till next year. Yeah, all the people yeah. that were working on it aren't working on it, and now it's delayed, and who knows, man. I, I'm definitely um, a little worried about mm-hmm. the the state of that game, that uh, show. But uh, a new Star Trek, I'm always in, especially a TV series. I think uh-huh. Star Trek is at its best when it's uh, episodic. I, I like I like that version of Star Trek yeah. most. And also a g- kick-ass cast from what we're hearing, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's his face? Jason Isaacs, is it? Yeah, I think he's it? He, yeah. He's the captain. Um, I was disappointed to hear that Brian Fuller is no longer going to be kind of leading that show. But I don't think he's associated with it at all, right? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think they're going with his game plan, and he probably wrote the pilot and everything. Uh, but mm. that guy is just, whatever he touches on TV is gold. So yeah. I'll be watching American Gods. I'm just sad that he's not involved. But yeah, the big thing is, uh, will something like that be enough to sell CBS All Access? Maybe. I don't know if something like The Good Fight is, unfortunately. It's a spinoff of a show that not many people watched in the first place. So kind of sad. Just We're in a weird space when it comes to TV mm. right now. True. Yeah. So what have you been watching, Jeff? Well, um, I've been watching uh, my, my own <laughs> TV that most people can't see. Uh, a British friend of mine, a sort of fan, uh, heard that I was talking about uh, wanting to watch something and took it upon himself to send me... Uh, a show that just debuted on the BBC. I don't even know if there's a way to watch it in in, in America oh right okay. now. It's only four episodes, but I guess it was a big hit in the UK. Uh, it's called Apple Tree Yard, and I believe it was on BBC One. It stars Emma Watson, and it's really unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's um, it's a very nuanced emotional tale from a woman's perspective sort of couched in the tropes of a thriller, mm-hmm. but it's much more, I think, honest than a thriller ever is. It's got the 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 sort of um, every episode is a is a hook for the next. It's got that that cliffhanger ending at each episode. It's got the those, oh my God, what's really going on here hooks that a thriller gives you. But ultimately it's much more interesting than that, to be honest. It's a much more grounded honest portrayal of this woman in a marriage that's difficult and she starts having an affair and things get crazy from there. But like you are sort of inside her experience and inside her, the feel, the, the conflicting feelings that she feels about cheating on her husband and about, you know, this, this feeling of actually feeling love from this new, new man and then not really knowing much about him and, and it, you know, it becomes uh, this intrigue, and ultimately ends up with this courtroom drama thing. 
all in four episodes. It's based on a novel that I guess was a, was a big hit, but the novel was written by a woman. It stars a woman. The showrunner is a woman. It's directed by a woman and written by a woman. So it's like, yeah, it's really, really cool. And Emma Watson's performance in this show is unbelievably good. It is unbelievably good. The whole, the, the whole show rises and falls based oh, you mean on Emily her. Watson, right? The what older did I say? one. Yes. <laughs> what did I say? Emma Watson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, it's I okay. meant Emily Watson. <laughs> Forgive me. Although I would love to see Emma Watson in a provocative <laughs> thriller like this too. These uh, these Brits, they their names are too similar. Uh, Emily Watson, uh-huh. uh, who you've seen uh, in you know all kinds of things. Um, um, she's in War Horse, <laughs> you know. Uh, she's in all kinds of stuff. Um, she's in that she, Einstein show, by the way. She is his wife. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, she's been around forever and and is always great. Uh, Gosford Park. I'm just looking at her IMDb right now. Um, but she, her performance in this is so honest and so grounded. It is mm-hmm. just heart wrenching. And uh, the things she ends up going through in this in this show are incredible. I won't spoil it for anybody, but I have a feeling it will make its way over this side of the pond at some point, and everybody should watch it. It's only four episodes, but each of them and each of them is only an hour. But it is uh, I, I found it to be really, really unlike anything else I'd ever seen because nice. of just how how realistically it, it handles very sort of grandiose situations i'm always down for like provocative british thrillers so yeah sign me up for this I do have a feeling that title may uh get a little tweak before it comes to the u.s Apple yeah it's, yard huh it's i guess based <laughs> on a i mean it's the name of a of a like square in okay. in uh london where stuff happens in the, okay, in the show so okay. i think it's a real place but yeah it's a not a not exactly a stirring title. Uh huh. I I do kind of <laughs> after the whole scrotal recall thing, I do wonder like how often we're going to see shows get rebadged a little uh, when they get exported. I still miss the uh, the title scrotal recall because what is it now? It's uh something bland. Lovesick. Yeah. And every time I hear that title, I just like goes out the other ear. Like I don't. It doesn't stick, and a title yeah. should stick, you know? And that's why I always defended Scrotal Recall, because that was such a... Uh... It's definitely one you don't forget, <laughs> that's for sure. Like, yeah, somebody tells you about that show once, you will never forget that title, <laughs> for better <laughs> right. or worse. So that's I guess, right. yeah, you got to balance all that. Uh, and I also have been, I also rewatched uh, Train Spotting, and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously our, our main review this episode is going to be the sequel, um, but it had been easily a decade, probably more since I'd seen the first train spotting. And I figured it was a, a good idea to re rewatch that mm-hmm. before seeing the sequel. And I, I think it'd be fun to talk about it with you because that was a, a movie, you know, in the late nineties came out in 97. Uh, that was really, it really defined that era in, in a lot of ways with, you know, with some other movies, but it was that Miramax brand, that independent, that very edgy, interesting mm-hmm. Uh, kind of cinema that was happening at that time introduced the world to Ewan McGregor in a lot in a lot of ways, um, and it, you know if you had asked me a week ago to tell you about Train Spotting, I'm like, oh yeah, oh, I love that movie. I remember loving it. Uh, I remember uh, diving into a toilet, <laughs> and I remember shitting the bed and baby on the ceiling and baby on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah that's like all I remember from. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. I don't remember what happens at the end. I think I don't I'm, in, remember. I'm in the same spot as you, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was really good that I 
especially in light of of the sequel, as we'll get to, uh, because it has so much to do with the, the first movie. But um, I I think this I think Train Spotting really holds up. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's very much about that vibrant, youthful feeling of you know angst and and not knowing what to do with oneself and getting into drugs and all those and like friendships and all those things. And that whole, you know, um, choose life thing is, is completely outdated at this point. It's a reference (laughs) to something that no one remembers, Yeah, but it still holds up as a concept of like, you know, the big middle finger to everything as a, you know, as a teenager, you just, you you know, in your early twenties, you're just, you have this feeling of just like the, the structures of society are there only to hold me down. And I just want to break out of those chains that shackle me and give my middle finger to everything. And the movie captures that spirit in a lot of ways. I really think the the first half is much stronger than the second half, but, uh, and most of like the memorable stuff that happens happens really fast. It's like, Oh my God, we're already at this thing. I, but, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's got, it still holds up and it's still got a really great vibrant energy to it that I think is, is worth watching, especially for a lot of people that probably, you know, never saw it. You know, nowadays you look back, you probably, you know, may have missed that movie. It's, 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 it's worth watching. It definitely is. It's such a, it's, it's an intriguing cultural artifact too. Cause, uh, I saw it in the nineties and I definitely saw it again while I was in college. And I think I got more out of it, um, you know, in the mid two thousands, kind of looking back on the nineties and looking at it now, it's such an, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting piece because, uh, it is all about these things we were afraid of back then, um hiv is a is yeah. a big part yeah. of the film um yeah that whole drug culture you know it didn't really go away but it was such a very specific thing uh i didn't it it didn't ever really click with me like how much of the movie was just like uh something kind of specific to edinburgh in a way too like it's it really taught us about this place and it brought us to this place that you know most americans probably will never get to see um but yeah it really holds up I just uh, it never left much of an impact on me too, so I did rewatch it as well. Um, I, I it's it's still very good, it's still very impactful. Yeah. Like Danny Boyle's direction too. This uh, this movie introduced us to Danny Boyle and that whole opening sequence set to "Lust for Life," right? Yeah. Um, so good, like just just so inventive. A lot of the stuff they did in this film uh, on a really low budget uh, still looks incredible today. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and man, I tell you what, Devendra. I want to go back to the nineties just for like, just for like a month. It's a simpler time, right? Such a simpler time. Just rebelling against everything. Like you didn't, uh, you didn't have the specter of uh, uh, terrorism all over the world. You didn't have like your country falling apart. It's just like, Hey man, I'm going to rebel against everything because life is so safe and I'm just going to chill. Yeah. The biggest thing to be pissed off about was consumerism. You know, it's just like, (laughs) uh, yeah, products, you know, it's like, uh, it was it. <laughs> it very much made me nostalgic for that time uh, watching it because I was like, "Oh my god, I remember where I was when I saw this movie the first time." And you know, it, it, it it's it's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that rewatching it made me think of is, you know, as as somebody who now has my own baby son, that sequence with oh, the god. baby, yeah. It, landed on me in a completely different way and my Mm -hmm. god it's horrific it is horrific it's every parent's nightmare yeah oh yeah yeah i know i was watching it uh late at night after my son had gone to sleep and i like went over to the baby (laughs) monitor and i was like is he still he's still breathing right he's still breathing oh man yeah it's it's nightmare scenario (laughs) 
So would you uh, would you recommend that people watch this before they go into seeing T2? I think more than almost any other sequel mm-hmm. I can think of that I, I think watching it is absolutely essential. I really do. I yeah, think yeah. I think that it this the that T2 has more to do with its its you know the the movie it's a sequel to than almost any other movie. It's it's not just a sequel, it's more like a reckoning of that movie. Mhm. So, I yeah. you know, I I definitely think <laughs> Knowing there's so many things that come back, so many, even just images uh-huh. that he he revisits and little moments um, and little characters and things that and the movie, you know, well, we'll get into that. But I, I do think that um, I do think that it would if if you're all interested in Trainspotting 2, you should definitely rewatch Trainspotting yeah, before yeah. you go see it. Like, I'm sure there are people out there who know the movie front to back and everything, but it's such sure. a it's a short film as well. And uh, I know, I think iTunes brought it down to like five bucks uh, ahead of the sequel. So good timing there. They know what they're doing. I watched uh, it on Amazon. I think yeah. it was three ninety nine. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So yeah, really easy to access. I know the iTunes version has some special features too. So that always kind of leads me there. I love the behind the scenes stuff, and that we're getting more of that in streaming. Uh, but cool. So yeah, I'd also recommend checking out Train Spotting before you see the sequel. Because uh, they do tie in directly to each other too, and it'll also make yeah. you feel really, really old if you saw Train Spotting <laughs> uh, closer to when it came out. Yeah, I mean, it was it was more along the lines of like watching the uh, uh, the Before Sunrise mm-hmm. movies. It, it is really yeah. like watching them that close back to back, like I did. It's like oh wow, it's really <laughs> amazing. Speaking of those movies, have you seen uh, the Blu-ray set? Is out, Jeff? Have you picked that up yet? I haven't picked it up, but my goodness, does it look attractive? Yeah, it, it really. They looks like they did a great job on it. The cover is still questionable. I think uh, we complained about that on the show a couple months ago. But right. yeah, I need to. I just need to go back and see what uh, the first movie looks like, and yeah, and dive into the special features. This looks really good at this point. Okay. Um, let's move on to news. Just one big story this week, and that is the Matrix coming back in some form or another speaking of the 90s (laughs) damn that was a segue let's do that again (laughs) so speaking of the 90s jeff the matrix is coming back yeah how about that i mean i guess all every it's the time now all the 90s (laughs) things we have to we're we've moved past the 80s and we're now squarely into mining the 90s for you you got power rangers what else what else is happening Bad Boys, um, I think, is going to come back at some point. So yeah, well, we got to have the Speed reboot. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> we got to have <laughs> what else from the nineties? Yeah. Oh man, but what we're hearing uh, is that Warner Brothers is putting together some sort of Matrix follow-up, and everyone was freaking out earlier because uh, I think it was the Hollywood Reporter saying that it could be some sort of reboot, and we knew that word means a lot of things these days. But Zach Penn a few days ago clarified and said like that those words were from the article. Uh, it seems like he's more interested in doing new stories in the universe. So maybe something closer to the Animatrix or the Matrix comics. Uh, what do you think about all this, Jeff? Uh, I do. I think it could be cool. Um, I, I heard somebody float the idea of like young Morpheus story, uh-huh. which I think that could be really cool. For sure. Um, yeah. It does feel like this is one of those franchises that belongs to one filmmaker and and to have it not mm-hmm. be a Wachowski uh, siblings joint feels a little weird to yes, me. Like yes. if they're That's, not into it, they're you know, moving why forward and they're not attached to anything right now, which is very strange. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, I actually like the second and third movie. Me too. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I really am hopeful that these – you know, revitalize the franchise because I think it's it is cool. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely a an aesthetic that is <laughs> squarely in the '90s, squarely of the '90s. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see if it updates that, if it, it pays homage to that, if it's sort of set in that same era. I mean, if we're talking about prequel stuff, is it even earlier than the '90s? They could do I have so a lot much. of questions like the yeah. the the beginnings of the Matrix or like retell one of the one of my favorite stories from the Animatrix is that whole, you know, how did this all happen? You know, and the right. robot uprising and all that. There's so much world for them to dive into. And yeah, like the Terminator films have kind of failed at showing us a, a similar sort of robot apocalypse. There's right. definitely room to do something like that here. Uh, my worry about doing a prequel is that we kind of we do know where the ultimate story is going to go. Right. So. There are inherent limitations to a prequel. You do that because maybe you want to learn more about this character or something. I honestly want to know where they go from there, right? Because the end of uh, Revolutions is that, um, you know, people were set free from the Matrix, but also some people had the choice of staying. And I wonder how that tension works out, right? Are you going to yeah. are you gonna look down on the people who choose to stay in their fantasy world versus becoming free and living in the hellhole of the real world? Um, yeah, how does, how does society function after that? So you're more interested in in an episode seven than you would be in an episode one, right? I think so. Um, just from my storytelling sensibilities, that's kind of how I've been thinking. Um, but maybe Warner Brothers is looking at what Disney is doing as Star Wars right now and being like, man, we, we need a franchise. So I oh, assume I'm... we're going to see something similar, right? We'll see movies about moving forward. We'll see movies about moving backwards. I hope we'll see some cool new projects like the Animatrix as well, because that thing is uh, that's probably one of my favorite side projects from any film because they got I was so into anime when all this stuff was happening and they got some great guys. Right. They got the they got the the director behind Cowboy Bebop. He did a really great noir thing. Uh, There's an awesome CG rendering one. There's one from the and Flux guy, like just so so innovative and like showed like this universe could be used to tell many different kinds of stories. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of room to move forward, but I do think the Wachowskis should be involved somehow. Yeah. You'd think that, you know, it's, it's really their baby, but Mm -hmm. um, I do think the animatrix is, is really underrated by most people. It's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, I have high hopes for this, man. I I think you hit the nail on the head with Warner brothers wanting their star Wars and looking at their catalog and going, hey, this mm-hmm. this is our Star Wars Harry right Potter's here. Harry Potter's over, right? So yeah, and that was them, right. Yeah, I although think. they do have like seventeen more uh, Harry Potter esque things coming out, right? So many more things. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, I think rumors of Michael B. Jordan being involved too, which would be kind of awesome. Yeah, him him as young Morpheus would be rad, or as a new character. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that'd be awesome. Either or to me. But yeah, I've I love this franchise so much. Uh Jeff, at some point we should just sit down and have sort of a retrospective on the entire franchise because I've rewatched uh all of them recently. And um, you know, Reloaded and Revolutions have a lot of problems. I think re- I think Reloaded has more problems than Revolutions, because that's a pretty straightforward, like, this is a big science fiction battle and we're gonna get everybody ready and we're gonna have a big big fight. Right. And, and that big fight's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that big fight. It's really cool. 
So I don't know. I, I had a great time with those movies. Uh, you know, the first one is is really incredible. Sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think I think everybody's sort of outrage, well, not outrage, but <laughs> you know, alarm uh, at at hearing reboot and like, oh, they're just going to retell the Matrix. Uh, I I think that would make me feel mm-hmm. a little less mm-hmm. excited. Like I don't need that to be retold, but. Revisiting this universe is certainly something I can get excited about. I do think, and this is this just goes to show, like when you're reading news and stuff like this, people and reports from, uh, you know, from people who aren't the actual people making it, um, take everything with a grain of salt. Don't don't freak out at every mention of a reboot because I honestly think you'd have to be crazy to want to like redo the Matrix story, right? It's so iconic, it is yeah. so ingrained in our culture. Um, you know, it'd be like redoing Avatar or something, right, Jeff? Yeah, right. Exactly. It's so ingrained in our culture. People would be like, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> These characters, I love them all. Their names. I love them. <laughs> I know every every beat of this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to seeing whatever happens here. Uh, my, uh, my only other issue, though, is is Zach Penn. I don't. Why? Why him? There, mm. Yeah, there's so many other better people out there. And um, if you want to know why I really think uh, the Wachowskis should be involved, go look at Sense8. That show is messy, but the ideas and the like philosophy behind it is so much of what they were trying to go for with The Matrix. Like, uh, Sense8 is all about uh, random public orgies, too. <laughs> um, and, RPOs? Yeah. <laughs> It is uh, – you kind of know what they were thinking from Matrix Reloaded, right? Because I remember I was in the theater watching that scene, and I was just looking around, and my friends were like, what is happening right now? This is – oh, this is weird, but I'm kind of into it. Yeah. So I do wonder uh, how much Wachowski has also, like, enlightened a bunch of geeks towards cool new philosophies. Go watch Sense8, oh, people. Sure. Yeah. That's my big takeaway. Go watch Sense8. It is kind of messy, but personally, it's one of my favorite shows on TV right now. All right, and with that, let's move on to our review of T2 Train Spotting. So, what have you been up to for 20 years? Choose life, choose Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and hope that someone somewhere cares. Missed you, mate. I missed you too, Spud. Choose looking up old flames, wishing you'd done it all differently. Do you still take heroin? No. And choose watching history repeat itself. Hello, Franco. Simon. I'm home. Choose your future. Call the police. What shall I say? Just tell them we're dead. Choose reality TV, slut shaming, revenge porn. Choose a zero hour contract, a two hour journey to work, and choose the same for your kids, only worse. And smother the pain with an unknown dose of an unknown drug made in somebody's kitchen. And then take a deep breath. And that was from the trailer of T2 Train Spotting. Uh, let me just read the summary here from IMDb, as Dave loves to. After 20 years abroad, Mark Renton returns to Scotland and reunites with his old friends, Sick Boy, Spud, and Begbie. So, Jeff, we talked about our feelings about the first movie. Um, yeah, what were you feeling going into this? Like, were you excited about the prospect of revisiting these characters? Well, I have to say, after rewatching the first Train Spotting, I definitely, I honestly hadn't remembered how <laughs> that movie ended. And yeah, I guess such a I crazy guess, ending. Yeah, yeah, I guess spoilers for the end of the first Train Spotting twenty years ago, but. Um, it ends with a very almost a, a cliffhanger, mm-hmm. almost a mm-hmm. almost a you know it, it ends 
with us not really knowing the fates of these these people. Uh, we have a sense of it, I guess. But that definitely made me more interested to see, you know, knowing that right, all of right. the actors were back to see, you know, in, in, a, in the same way that we have with, uh, you know, before Sunrise series, like we really are going to check in on these characters 20 years later. That's mm-hmm. a pretty amazing thing. So I was very excited to see that and how this movie opens with its sort of intercuts between literally the the footage from the end of the old movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, with with new you know with the, the modern day uh, Ewan McGregor's look it's it really is a movie about time in a lot of ways it's a movie about what has happened to these people and where we find them and what what one moment in time as depicted at the end of the first movie has wrought on all of them and and it it's sort of some of them really feel like that is the is the moment that you know, cast their misfortune, their mm-hmm. misfortune in life, you know, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't blame them because, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe sort of true. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was really interested to see how it, it played out and it, it really exceeded all of my expectations. I think this movie is better than the first one. I think mm-hmm. it's that rare sequel that actually is better than the first film. It's a much more mature story. It, and you know, a lot of this obviously has to do with with my age and my right. life. You know, I I related to the first train spotting at the time because I was young and angsty, and now I relate to this one because now I'm you're older. Old and dready, dreading. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> older and I have different kinds of responsibilities. And you know, there, there's this movie is about that, right? It's about like it, if you've gotten to the to the age where you can have been friends with someone for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like this movie speaks to that. It speaks to that feeling of when, when you have, have a friend that you've been a friend with that long, you can go years and years Mm. and years away from them and see them again. And it's like, you never left, you know? And that's a magical thing. And this movie really captures that in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's, it's about, the the demons in our lives that we have to deal with and how they never go away and there's something interesting happening with every single character in this movie and and different things happening there's a father son relationship that's complicated and messy and and kind of gross to watch with the Robert Carlyle character there's uh th- there's so much going on and i think all of it is none of it's given short shrift none of the characters feel underutilized or uh you know there's there's really powerful stuff happening with all of them. My only criticism I get, well, I have two. First of all, I think the title is dumb. I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't understand the T2 train spotting. That's weird. Because Terminator uh, 2, Jeff, that's why. Oh, okay. I guess that, that's the only reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then my only other criticism is that here we have a bunch of aging actors. And for some reason, we need to give them like a young ingenue mm-hmm. Uh, instead of really dealing with the older women. I mean, women were never at the center of the first movie per se, but... It always kind of revolved around their relationships with women because these were all dudes who were just screwed up on some level or another. Yeah, Right, but but, uh, like making the one new character that is a main character, this this young ingenue who, who, you know, was barely alive when the first movie... (laughs) And another, another, like, way too young character for... uh, yeah, for yeah. things to happen with. I guess we... Well, there was that great moment. <laughs> I won't spoil, but yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. 
make mention of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And it, it, mm-hmm. again, it's visually inventive. Again, the, the, the direction is, is always surprising and interesting and it conveys mental states with, with visual imagery in a way that you don't see other filmmakers do it. There's so much going on. It's a much more dense film than the first one, I think. And and I absolutely loved it. Awesome. Cool. And I, I think I'm pretty much right there with you, Jeff. Um, this feels like a sequel that definitely builds on the original and gives us something more. Uh, we see how much Danny Boyle has evolved as a storyteller since that right. first movie. Uh, I really enjoyed that when I saw it. But yeah, looking at it now, um, yeah, there there are definitely things about it that feel a little disjointed, a little messy, and that's part of its appeal too. And this movie is messy in its own ways, but yeah, it is all about reflecting on the past, uh, maybe the dangers of falling into nostalgia too much when you should yes. be looking forward in your life. Um, but yeah, I just I honestly didn't realize how much I loved these characters uh, because it's been. Before I rewatched Train Spotting One this weekend, uh, it's been like I haven't seen it since college, but I did feel like I knew these characters instantly having rewatched them. And then, yeah, seeing where everything goes, it just feels so natural, right? The first movie, that ending isn't just like a cliffhanger, it's so like weird. It's so like, oh, I did not expect that to happen. And we were just going to end it there. And I don't think many films and many stories in general do that. So. Yeah, that was interesting. And I, I just mm-hmm. kind of love how it built up from that. Um, you do see that Ewan McGregor's character is kind of the one who's shaped himself up the best way, probably because he had that whole head start and had a chance to run away a little. Uh, but uh, what really interested me, too, is seeing how everybody changed, but also how some of the characters were very much the same, too. Like uh, Johnny Lee Miller's character feels like nothing has changed except he's gotten more bitter and more angry because of what his best friend did to him 20 years ago. Uh, But yeah, what a great conceit for a sequel too, right? Because it seems like we had the setup for this uh, since that first film. Uh, Ever since that movie, I've wanted to know like what would happen if Renton just showed back up and how would he have to deal with it? How would he have to reconnect with these people? Um, yeah, left it all around. Uh, just these characters just dove right back into these actors, dove right back into these characters. Uh, it all felt very natural to me. I agree with your point, Jeff, that uh, I don't know if we needed another young girl for them to be kind of uh, floating around rather than dealing with, uh, you know, so many of the other older women that are already in this series. And they even have one of the uh, one of the hookups from the first movie who shows up here, too. Uh, there are also some great sequences, I think. Um, we remember things from the first movie, like the uh, the worst toilet in Scotland, that whole yeah. like sequence. And there, there's nothing as gross as that. Uh, a lot less poop humor. Definitely some right. vomit humor yeah. now. Uh, the poop stuff in the first movie just like went all over the place in many ways. Yes. Um, but here, there's at least one sequence that somehow devolves into karaoke or just singing. And I thought that was just a joy, right? This movie... It's so much fun, but I think conceptually and philosophically, it's a lot deeper than the first film. And it shows like how much, uh, I don't know, like Danny Boyle didn't write this, but there definitely shows a love for the characters. And I'm sure like he had some say in like how it was all kind of laid out. This is all based on Irvin Welsh book too, uh, just like the first movie. I have not read these books. I've read some of his stuff. And uh, yeah, he is he is an interesting writer. Just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reading yeah. him is a lot of fun and yeah 
goes all over the place. But yeah, overall, I really enjoyed this. Let's move into spoilers and we can dive a little deeper into this film. Sounds good. Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, they're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So, Jeff, anything spoilery you want to dive into here? Because there's, oh. uh, there, there's so much in this movie. Yeah, they're, they're really they're amazing sequences. I, I want to pick up on a thread that you you laid down uh, mm-hmm. just a moment ago about it, it being almost like a referendum on nostalgia. And yeah, there are yeah. several sequences, several moments, several direct lines when people are like, stop living in the past. Stop mining the past for things. There's that wonderful moment when um, – when uh, Ewan McGregor and Johnny Lee Miller are like, you know, having a great old time and drinking and and kind of reuniting and, and de- rediscovering their affection for one another, mm-hmm. and um, I can't remember the woman's name, but mm-hmm. the the Valerie Veronica, Veronica. yeah, uh, she says uh, in 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 a language they can't understand, she says, you know, like in my country, the past is something to be forgotten. Yes. You know, it's the, it's to be, you, you're worried about what, where you're headed, not where you've been. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's like a comment on the movie as well, right? It's like, we're making the sequel to this movie that's 20 years old. And <laughs> it's almost, it almost feels like a comment on mining, you know, the, old movies for mm-hmm. content or mm-hmm. re- reboot culture in general. And I just thought there was, there was a lot of that in the film. And yet, also, the movie does an homage constantly to very specific moments. You know, there's that uh, the iconic uh, shot from the first movie where uh, Ewan McGregor, you know, almost gets hit by the car and then stares in the windshield and mm-hmm. laughs. And he sort of does that again this time. You know, it's it, it, uh, over and over and over again. There are these these great moments. Another another of my favorite things is when he goes back to his parents' house and we get the exact same shot. From of, the kitchen? From the kitchen, yeah. but there's like the shadow where the mother was. Yep. Oh, oh my God. So powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. Anyway, you, what about you? What, what, is, uh, what are the things that well, stuck actually, out to from you? from that very scene you pointed out with Veronica, she also says something like, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable here because you guys clearly just want to fuck each other. Like, that's, <laughs> right. And that, I think, is a great uh, – just – it shows off like uh, it's a great commentary in these kinds of uh, bromancy best friend relationships, but I'm sure that's also what a lot of people think too. Like it's uh, it's just hilarious, and it's funny to have somebody say that out loud. Um, I really like her as a character too, because this movie is also about how um, Edinburgh is changing as well, right? Like the people welcoming Renton to uh, to you know the city when he gets off the plane are from like Romania or somewhere else, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's interesting, too. Like, it's showing how it's changing, how it's gentrifying a little, too. Uh, This movie is shot in brighter colors. It looks a lot shinier and a little more, like, tourist-friendly rather than the first movie, which is really dark and dank and probably reflected, like, how they had to film it, too, just on the cheap. Um, But, yeah, I think this movie, in a way, shows, like, you're – even this environment change, right? This whole city change. It's all very different for them. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Like, it's – what do you think of the ending? Mm-hmm. What do you think of the ending? I mean, it, it really almost turns into 
uh, a horror film at the end. I mean, it really be. I mean, Robert Carlyle becomes a monster that they, you know, and this, as he like, tends his, to do. By the way, he is very good at just like flipping out. Um, yeah. I forgot how much of that insanity was in the first movie. I think of him too as like the father in Twenty Eight Weeks Later, and just being right. like the big bad zombie in that one. He also has sort of a villainous role in uh, Once Upon a Time. I believe on uh, that show on ABC. So yeah, used to seeing him here. That was a really great sequence. His him just going oh, crazy. It was unbelievable. I mean, there's even like a you know here's Johnny moment <laughs> where he's like full on like you know uh, horror movie villain, uh, and you know it's in a, a, a almost a haunted house type environment with lightning crashing outside. <laughs> but it, you know it's trains. It's it very much feels like we're in this genre moment. Um, but it's. Re- Everything this movie tries to pull off, and there's some audacious stuff narratively and and stylistically. I think all of it, most of it, shouldn't work, but mm-hmm. it all does. Mm-hmm. You know, like I shouldn't buy into um, Spud Man, uh, like writing down his stuff and putting it on the walls. Oh, it's all so like, good, yeah. It's so good, but it, you know, it on the face of it, it could come off so cheesy and and trite, and it doesn't. It it. You feel it. You mm-hmm. feel for him and you feel his salvation in just sort of, you know, letting all this stuff out. And then that those moments when Robert Carlyle finds that stuff and you feel the menace of him and you don't know what he's going to do, where he's going to go. Is he going to kill this, you know, this guy just for writing all this stuff down? It it's it all shouldn't work, but it really does. <laughs> yeah, I think it, uh, this movie definitely follows the original in great ways and great performance by Ewan Bremner as well, who plays Spud. Because um, I, I think we all remember him as the funny looking kind of goofy guy from the first movie. And in this one, he is like, he is the enlightened one. You know, he's the one who is able to reflect and think back on everything that happened, but he still has a path forward too. And honestly, the fact that, you know, he, we get a glimpse of him being happy for a little bit, uh, like him having a job and a life and how just like through a sheer like accident, cause he didn't quite understand daylight savings time, his entire <laughs> life yeah. went back to shit. And that's so sad too. Cause a simple mistake like that could send somebody spiraling back down Right, into, but it's a, it's another yeah. one of those things that like it shouldn't work. It's mm-hmm. it's so it's so ridiculous on the face of it that it shouldn't. There's that sequence also when they're they're at that club and Ewan McGregor and Robert Carlyle both go to the bathroom and <laughs> installs next to one another. Like it's it's that shouldn't work. It's it's such a ridiculous premise, but it does. It, uh-huh. I'm totally like, oh my god, they're right next to each other. Uh, and I don't know how this movie pulls all that stuff off, but it really does. Yeah, it feels like Danny Boyle's back in his element too, because you know he's made some uh, he's made some great films since this uh, Sunshine, Slumdog Millionaire, and uh, I would argue Steve Jobs too, because I love that movie. Yeah, me um, too. But I think everything that he learned from some of those films too, he brought to this one you like not just having better technology but sort of the subtitles in the air and the visualizations of things in the air that was in steve jobs like we're just seeing him bringing his techniques back into a playground that he you know first dealt with 20 years ago and i'm sure he's having a lot of fun with this as well so uh, he's just like a kid in a candy store right now like he's just like pulling everything he can he's having fun with these characters I honestly would love to revisit them or the the story somehow in ten years or something. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And see I think it would be really there. cool to to see if they come back to these guys as like sort of older men. You know, I think that would. I mean, not to yeah. I guess we're in spoilers now. So yeah, none, none of them. I was wondering if they were going to kill any of them off, mm-hmm. but I I think you really could come back and see where they are again. 
Uh, I think that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I think the most the the biggest thing about this movie is that it makes you feel very very old, right? Because I remember when oh, these man. guys were just like young uh, whippersnappers and just like causing trouble and wreaking all sorts of havoc, and now they're just like middle aged old men yeah. who have yeah. like the, their best years are behind them, and all they have to look forward to is you know a life of death and re- or a life of regret, basically, right. and trying to deal with that is kind of tough. Yeah, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, especially watching them so close to one another as I did, it, it really is like, oh, Jesus, time. <laughs> time is a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Don't waste your time, kids. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Um, <laughs> I think one thing that's interesting, too, I remember when the first movie was out, um, it was criticized for sort of glorifying drug culture in a way. And right. I think um, – I don't think that was the intent of the movie may have been more of the intent of the book maybe because Irvin Welsh's stuff is very, very drug heavy. Like he's, he's just like all about that whole scene. Um, but maybe early on, like Danny Boyle didn't have the storytelling maturity to really reel it back. Sometimes it always seemed like we were having fun with these characters, although things definitely got crazy, like with the baby stuff and people dying, like Tommy dying. But this movie, um, you know, it doesn't feel as glorifying in a way, right? These guys are people who used to be addicts. Um, one of them is still struggling with that. And they're just trying to work through it. Uh, there is one drug-taking scene, I think, in this, and a lot of cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not as, like, hardcore. And you definitely see the downsides of all of it, right? Like, yeah. I think, um, you know, Renton was better off because he got clean, 20 years ago and tried to have a normal life. Although now he's in a spot where he's just like, you know, bereft. His life is bereft of meaning. He's having, a well, even he, like he clearly has that heart problem as mm-hmm. a result of all that hard living that he did as a young person. Yeah. I wonder if that is, I didn't even make that connection, but yeah, that probably, yeah, he can't escape the past in a way. It's always going to be a part of him. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was fascinating. But I think, uh, when it comes to like, telling these sorts of stories and not going too overboard and saying like, Hey man, drugs are great. Look how much fun these guys are having. I think this movie does a better job as well. I think this movie really is a reckoning from, from the first film. Mm -hmm. It, 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 every single major thing that happens from the first movie, people have to deal with, you know, at, at a certain point they're confronted with the, the lifelong, um, consequences mm-hmm. of of those decisions of the of that behavior i mean it, there's there's a lot of fun to be had in this movie as well but so much of it is you know the big decision of you know betraying your friends at the end of the, the first movie that's dealt with but every little thing in between too i mean the death of tommy is dealt with the the death of the mm-hmm. baby is dealt with every every single thing his relationship with his parents like all of that stuff is is, 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 has impact Mm -hmm. and these threads of a lifetime. And I think that's, what's so awesome about revisiting characters 20 years later and really doing it in real time. It's like, that's how lives are. That's how lives are constructed. Like all these things do, they're, they're not wrapped up neatly in, in little narrative boxes like movies and books can do. They really have repercussions that last a lifetime. And it's so cool to be able to have, a filmmaker and actors that can revisit these storylines and explore that. It's like, it's so we're, we're in an amazing place where, I mean, I, I don't know of other movies that have done that. I guess the color of money is kind of the yeah. the older version of that, but mm-hmm. very, f- very few 
films up to this point have been able to do that. And we're now at this point where, you know, we have filmmakers that want to revisit older stuff that they were involved in a long time ago. And, and you can actually use time as a storytelling device. It's kind of cool. I I worry about that becoming a sort of crutch for storytelling because we are seeing so many reboots and remakes and revisits for all these universes. But yeah, in this case too, I think the, the book this was based on is also a sequel of sorts. So they at least had some good source material to work with. Uh, moving forward, I don't know how they're going to do it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, there, there are, there's a lot of this happening with Rocky, and and you know, uh, there's so many things where it's like, oh my god, just seeing them older has an impact. It, it always works on me <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know. I react to that. I respond to that. I, I find that so compelling. I, I'm so moved by just time sure, as a sure. as a as a resource and real time you know real time not just you know movie time but real time being leveraged in storytelling is just such an interesting thing i find but um you might you might be right it could it could end up being uh, something that if we use it too often we get a little not. tired i hope yeah not. anything else you want to mention about this film jeff I mean, I thought the soundtrack was awesome. I yeah. loved how it mm-hmm. used how it used sound cues from the first movie to to actually, um, you know, give me information. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, I like the uh, the holding back on the lust for life from the beginning, and yeah. when it finally hits at the end, it's like, oh yeah, I get it now. Like it's he's working with a lot more. And we also get another great scene in that bedroom set, so right. that was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, we need that wallpaper again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make this look exactly like it did before. Yeah, exactly. It's tough. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I think that brings us to an end of this episode. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. As always, you can find more of us. Um, you can find our old episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. Uh, you can email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. And Jeff, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you got several ways. I, uh, I'm on Twitter, at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have a few other shows. I'm doing a new daily video game show called um, Newest, Latest, Best. It's on the Anchor app. You can find it at anchor.fm slash NLB. Uh, I also have a uh, long-form video game show that I do every Monday. That's called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I do a... Um, a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. And just today we announced that uh, in a week on Monday, uh, Monday, March 27th, speaking of – this is very apropos okay. for this episode. All right. Speaking, speaking of uh, old things that are new again, <laughs> Monday, March 27th. Uh, is the 10-year anniversary of the Totally Rad show. Whoa. What does that mean, Jeff? Well, it means I'm old is what that means. Uh, <laughs> but it also means that uh, we're going to do a little reunion, a little um, celebration of the 10-year anniversary of the debut of, of TRS. Uh, Alex and Dan and Mike and Steve and I are all going to hang out uh, on a live stream for an hour. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anybody that uh, may have may have watched that show and enjoyed it, we hope you'll come and hang out with us. It's just going to be a real casual, fun hangout session. More information will be uh, – 
uh, will, will be at my on my Twitter. So if you follow me at Jeff Canada, you'll find out how to be a part of that. It, it, I think it's going to be a good time. That sounds great. Are you doing that on like a set or anything, or just like a living room? No, I think we're just going to go over to Alex's house and just <laughs> going to hang out. It's very. You know, we've we've been talking for months and months and months, uh, knowing that the 10 year anniversary was coming up. We're like, yeah. we really should do something. Yeah. And of course, it all gets thrown to the last minute. And it's like, oh, let's just you know, let's just turn the camera on and hang out and have a good time. But I think oh, it's going to be really fun. I uh, I was kind of hoping you guys would do like a hey surprise we made a documentary memory about you know <laughs> the totally that would rat take, show and everything uh, yeah that would take us do actually you know having some <laughs> motivation but uh, i mean we're motivated to do this but it's like you know everybody's got busy busy stuff going on so yeah yeah you guys are all we, big we, shots now I <laughs> well some of us are uh, <laughs> i don't know about me but um you are a legend jeff never forget <laughs> that <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I can't believe it's been 10 years. And oh, man, I, we, yeah. we definitely wanted to do do something, but um, I think it's going to be a good time. Awesome. Looking forward to that. And uh, you can find my stuff. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech and gadget.com. Check out all the stuff I did from South by and gadget as well. A bunch of videos. If you have the Apple TV, you can get the Engadget app there and just watch the videos. And we're also doing a podcast there. And check that out. We'll be talking about tech and other fun stuff. Uh, I think we'll have an episode next week. I'm actually not sure what's up yet, so we'll figure that out. But for now, happy watching, folks. He's gonna-